Warning, this episode contains descriptions of the murder of people indigenous to Australia. The 11th of May 1999. 14-year-old Cleon Jackman is out riding a pushbike near Petrie Street, Langford, Western Australia. Suddenly, a car swerves around the corner and a man and a woman jump out and chase him down. They then shove him into the car and drive off. Five hours later, Cleon Jackman will be dead. This is the story of how three scumbags, a man and two women, will kidnap, torture and murder at the most gruesome and shocking level. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Let's start at the 11th of May 1999. 14-year-old Cleon Jackman is racing down the street on his BMX bike. He's going flat out as around the corner screeches a four-wheel drive with 40-year-old James Wayne Stapleton driving and 30-year-old Darren Elizabeth Bardsley in the passenger seat. Bardsley is yelling out, Stop him! Catch him! And one of the residents... Alan Heffernan, sees the boy fly past, and so he also gives chase. Cleon swerves into a driveway, dumps the bike, and jumps a fence. Stapleton slams on the brakes and gives chase with Heffernan. By the time Heffernan catches up, he sees Cleon pinned down by Stapleton, who has him by the scruff of the neck, with his face on the concrete driveway. Stapleton is yelling at Cleon, I got you now, what are you going to do? Then Stapleton's girlfriend Bardsley arrives and starts slapping Cleon across the face and verbally, verbally abusing him. Cleon is moaning and trying to get away, but Stapleton has a good grip on him. The owner of the backyard, Jason Booth, and the next door neighbour, Alan Heffernan, asked Bardsley what was going on. Bardsley replied that he had broken into her house and she caught him whacking off with a panties in a laundry basket. When asked if they would take him to the police, Stapleton told Booth and Heffernan that they would take him downtown in their four-wheel drive. Stapleton and Bardsley threw Cleon into the car and they took off. At this stage, Alan Heffernan went back to his house and thought nothing more of the frantic chase he'd just been part of. Just over a week later, while watching the news, Heffernan would see a missing persons report on TV and recognise the boy's face on the TV screen. It was the face of the boy he'd helped chase down just the week before. He called police and let them know. In fact... No one had seen Cleon alive since the day of the chase. Cleon had been fostered out and his foster parents had called police after he'd not been at home for a couple of days. They told police they were worried 
because although he had not come home before, it had never been more than one day. The police didn't treat the report very seriously and assured them that he had probably stolen something and had gone into hiding. This angered Cleon's foster parents, so they contacted the local Bugalari Community Centre and they set about putting up posters, handing out leaflets and they contacted the media. On the 21st of May 1999, police went to the house of Stapleton and Bardsley and took them downtown to Bunbury Police Station for questioning. They would both admit to catching Cleon and taking him to the house that they shared with Rebecca Papali, who rented a room to sell a body from. They admitted abducting and striking the boy, but claimed that the boy later left on his bicycle. The next day, Stapleton and Bardsley were again interviewed by police. Soon, Bardsley would crack and tell police that Cleon had died and it was her boyfriend Stapleton that had killed him. They then went to Stapleton with this information and he too would give in to police and admit that Cleon wasn't just missing and that in fact he was dead. Stapleton told police he would assist in locating the body but would not participate in any further interviews. The next day, the 23rd of May, Stapleton led police to bushland at Pickering Brook where the shallow grave of young Cleon Jackman was found. So, what happened to cause the death of Cleon Jackman on that day in May? Now most of the following has come from court documents. Stapleton, Bardsley and Papali were at their Petrie Street Langdon's residence when they heard that Cleon was in the area. Bardsley and Papali had been preparing to get revenge on Cleon for breaking into the house on previous occasions by getting lengths of wood that they would use to give him a hiding. In fact, they had told several friends what they had in store for Cleon should they ever catch him. Just one month before the death of Cleon Jackman, Bardsley had told a police officer, it doesn't really matter if you catch Cleon because my boyfriend is coming up from Bunbury and he will sort him out. Just six days before the boy's death, Bardsley told another police officer that she was thinking about ringing up some girlfriends and for them to get hold of baseball bats and wait for the boy to break in again and then give him a hiding. As things turned out, she ignored the police officer's response to allow the police to handle it. It was also evident in the week prior to Cleon's murder that Bardsley and Papali would drive around the suburbs looking for Cleon Jackman and on one occasion they actually showed a teenage boy who lived in the area weapons they had in the car. Now these comprised of a piece of wood and a steering lock. Now that story about her busting Cleon jerking off in her dirty undies, well that was just bullshit because after being tipped off by friends that Cleon was riding his bike around the area, Stapleton and Bardsley jumped in their car and drove around the streets hunting for him. Papali waited at the house for when they returned. Eventually, 
They spotted him and took off in pursuit. Cleon realised he couldn't outrun them and ditched the bike, jumping a fence and ran. Eventually Stapleton caught Cleon and threw him to the ground. Bardsley caught up and she repeatedly slapped Cleon while Stapleton held him. They both then took Cleon into their car and drove back to the house. Here Rapali joined in the slapping and punching of Cleon. They first tied his hands and all three either punched Cleon or hit him with a substantial piece of wood and a shovel. Eventually they hogtied him with a rope that Bardsley took from her bag. All three continued to beat Cleon with Stapleton at one stage throwing Cleon onto his stomach while still hog-tied and jumping on his back and acting like he was surfing the child. They stubbed out cigarettes all over his body. During the course of the attack, Papali got a kitchen knife and held it to Cleon's neck, threatening to cut his throat. All the time, Cleon was apologising and begging to be untied and let go home. Now the beating and yelling of abuse continued for several hours. Eventually, Stapleton, in his own words, lost it and repeatedly beat Cleon across the head with the lump of wood. Cleon went limp and was unresponsive. At this stage, Stapleton decided to go fill up the car with fuel as he now knows he will need to go for a long drive as most likely he has killed the boy and he'll have to dump his body. So Stapleton takes off to get fuel. Papali and Bardsley stay at the house. At no time do they decide to call an ambulance or render any assistance to the now unconscious and dying boy. Stapleton is gone for about 20 minutes and on his return he's not sure if Cleon is dead or not. Now, I could not find any evidence to suggest any of the three, Stapleton, Papali or Bardsley, were out of their minds on drugs. But it can't be that hard to see if someone you've just beaten to a pulp is dead or not. Now, Stapleton says that Cleon was alive when he left to get fuel, but when he returned, Cleon was dead. In court, he tries to blame the actual death on Papali and Bardsley. So on his return from the petrol station, Stapleton admits to stuffing toilet paper down Cleon's throat, taping plastic bags over his head, squeezing his neck and pressing a piece of wood across his throat, with the latter two things being performed to make sure he was dead. Can you imagine this? Okay, Stapleton's gone crazy, but the two women watching this happen and doing nothing about it. Not even telling him to lay off, the kid's dead for fuck's sake. So now they take Cleon's limp and lifeless body into the car and drive about half an hour away to Pickering Brook, a rural area where they look for an isolated place to dig a shallow grave. Bardsley and Papali would give evidence that during the drive in the car, 
before the body was buried, Stapleton, who was driving the car, asked the women to look into the back to see if the boy was moving. They did, but they could see nothing, whereupon Stapleton remarked that the boy had probably stopped breathing by now anyway. Papali also gave evidence that Stapleton later told her that he would take full responsibility for what he had done if police questioning reached that point. So they find a site at Pickering Brook and bury Cleon, then they go back to the house where they try to clean up any evidence that may have been left behind. Bardsley gave evidence that when it was all over and she was in bed with Stapleton, she asked him, how did the boy die? And he replied, he was fucked. He was fucked anyway. I just finished him off. But this was to try and distance herself from the actual murder. She tried to make out that it was all Stapleton and that she only hit Cleon on the butt a couple of times with a length of wood. I'll just get ahead of myself here, but the forensic examination of Cleon would show no bruising at all on his butt. Anyway, eventually Cleon is reported missing. Police don't really take it seriously, as they say to Cleon's parents that he's just probably gone walkabout after stealing something and he'll turn up later. But of course he doesn't, and with the community passing out flyers, putting up posters and contacting the media, progress is finally made in finding Cleon. The guy that witnessed and joined in on the chase of Cleon that day, Alan Heffernan, sees his photo on TV and contacts police. So as I mentioned earlier, Bardsley implicates Stapleton and Papali in the attack on Cleon. Stapleton admits to the attack and offers to show police where they buried Cleon. Now, while at the burial site, Stapleton, Bardsley and Papali are all present. It was noted that all three showed no signs of remorse. This is important, as I will come back to this later. Stapleton did say to police, though, it was only meant to scare him. I just didn't want him around the place anymore. You know, he's broken in and done stuff so many times, but it wasn't me. I don't get angry. I'm a constant, you know. Stapleton then described his panic when he could not wake the boy. While at the gravesite, Stapleton was saying, Fuck, what have I done? So it looks like Stapleton was starting to shit himself, talking to Detective Senior Constable Scannelbury while at the burial site. Now Scannelbury had built up a bit of rapport with Stapleton at this stage, so I reckon Stapleton was opening his mouth to try and get his version of the story across and try to minimise his part in the crime. Sort of like good cop, bad cop thing, where Stapleton sees Scannelbury as the good cop. The autopsy was unable to really show the exact cause of death. The pathologist, Dr Margolius, gave us her opinion that the boy could have been killed by multiple soft tissue injuries, upper airways ligature obstruction, or a combination of both. I guess that doesn't really matter in the long run, 
Cleon was bashed to death, then choked, and had dunny rolls shoved down his throat and plastic bags taped over his head to finish him off. So Stapleton, his girlfriend Bardsley, and their friend Papali are all charged with willful murder. Now, in Western Australia, willful murder is premeditated murder. Now, just a side note, while in custody and awaiting trial, somehow Bardsley was able to fall pregnant. Bardsley told officials that a franger filled with jizz was handed to her during a recent court appearance and that she used the loving spoonful to get herself knocked up. Nothing stops this lot breeding. Anyway, she got an ultrasound and yes, she was confirmed as having twins of all things. However, she did miscarry a few months later. The trials took place in May 2001 over four weeks, following which all three were convicted of willful murder and deprivation of liberty. On the 30th of May 2001, Stapleton was sentenced to strict security life imprisonment with a minimum term of imprisonment of 23 years before eligibility for parole. Bardsley was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 18 years before eligibility for parole. And Papali was sentenced to life imprisonment also with a minimum of 17 and a half years before eligibility for parole. The Crown's case was that Stapleton had played by far the greater role in the commission of the offences. All three of the offenders were also sentenced to five years imprisonment for the deprivation of liberty offence. In sentencing, the judge said Papali set up the situation by identifying Cleon. She struck him with a baton and stood over him smiling and terrified him with a knife. She helped dispose of the body and was so calm she stopped for a meal on the way home. She lied consistently to investigating police and showed no remorse. Stapleton appealed his conviction and sentence and both appeals were dismissed by the Court of Criminal Appeal on the 4th of December 2002. However, the two women successfully appealed their convictions of willful murder and on their, and on their retrial they pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of murder. In sentencing Bardsley to a minimum of, minimum of 12 and a half years and Papali to a minimum of 12 years, Justice John McKenkey said that the crime was monstrous. The torture of a child is abhorrent and no matter what frustrations you may have felt does not justify what you did. Justice McKenkey said, There are some crimes that are so monstrous they overwhelm any matters of mitigation. And this is one of them. Prosecutor Phil Urquhart described the murder as a racially motivated, cowardly and gutless attack on the teenager, whom they believed had been responsible for break-ins at the house owned by Bardsley. But he said the court should refuse to label the killing as vigilantism. Cleon's mother, Lynette Jackman, said the women got the sentence they deserved. I'm very happy with the sentence and the family's happy as well, she said. We now live with it and that, but we're happy. 
Okay. Now, Papali was released on parole in January 2015 and deported back to New Zealand. Bardsley was granted parole, walking free on July the 2nd, 2015. Now I'm finally at the bit that Lindy sent me the link about. So Papali was deported back to New Zealand in January 2015. You see, in December 2014, Australia made changes to the immigration law which automatically revoked visas of anyone who had been cumulatively sentenced to 12 months or more in prison. The problem is, when they're deported to New Zealand, there was no reciprocal legislation to monitor these criminals and make sure they conform to parole conditions. So pedos, murderers and rapists could do whatever they like once home and not be in breach of their parole conditions. So Papali was deported just before the law changed. But let me get back to the news article that Lindy pointed out to me. Now this is from the Sunday Star Times. Kiwi child killer struggling under the shadow of her crimes. You might never guess Rebecca Papali's background, but she's happy to tell you about it anyway. The 55-year-old cuts a glamorous figure in the otherwise unremarkable Northland town of Kakohi. Her smiling face and warm nature prompting a stranger to embrace her. I know you, the the woman says, hunching over to kiss Papali on the cheek at a cafe, but I don't know why. I'll say hello anyway. (laughs) Well, lady, let me jog your memory. That face that you seem to recognise was probably from the news in 1999 when she got busted for kidnapping, torture and murder of a 14-year-old kid with two of her mates. Kiss that. Okay, let me get on with the article. Papali said her initial return to New Zealand and the ensuing fracas was awful, but recalls a recent defining moment after the town's policeman told her that she'd done well and was free from police gaze. Of course it was awful, but it had a good result. It's basically, "Mm, I took the scab off the volcano. Once you lift the head off, everything comes off, she says. It's like a healing process. It's about making communities stronger. For me, there's no point running away. What the fuck? It will... It was awful, as little Cleon's last hours of life, when you terrorise the poor kid, beating him with a stick, threatening him with a knife at his throat, standing by instead of calling an ambulance, then dumping his body in a bush grave, then going off to dinner. You bitch, how dare you say it was awful for you returning to New Zealand. Anyway, there's more. She still acknowledges it's not been an easy road. Her convictions have made it almost impossible to get a job. She's applied for hundreds, she says. And the stigma of her past makes it hard for some people to fully accept her. People always look for the smoke first, you can say. The facts are here and they'll say, but the fire is over there. Smoke? 
What the fuck are you on about, Papali? You're a murderer of the worst kind. You only served about 15 years. Cleon was only 14 years old. So what if the kid was breaking into a few homes? You didn't have to kill him. Now she's back in New Zealand. She insists she played a lesser role in the torture and killing. She says that Bardsley and Stapleton believed the teenage boy had been harassing her. So they conspired to kidnap the youngster. Now she's trying to put all the blame on others. Okay, this is the last bit from another article from the Sunday Star Times. Papali said she was looking forward to a new life in New Zealand. And despite many of her family members living in Australia including her daughter and several siblings, she was glad to be home and felt well supported. I have survived and I do have a lot to offer others when I'm rehabilitated, she said. Papali claimed her involvement in the crime was minimal and that she didn't recognise what was happening to Cleon and when she did, she tried to find the police. I've always said I'm not completely innocent. I was innocent of what I've been charged with, but I was there and I couldn't prevent what was happening. The media made out like I tortured him, but I never touched him. The right thing was going to be done to Cleon, but that changed over time. Now, if you're not jumping up and down, screaming mad like me right now, this bitch is unreal. She is a survivor. She didn't recognise what was happening while beating Cleon to death. She's not completely innocent. She couldn't prevent it happening. I never touched him. The right thing was going to be done to Cleon, but that all changed over time. I bet she didn't say that to the parole board. Fucking You can read this and the full articles in the Sunday Star Times. Just search for Rebecca Papali. Okay, next point. The coppers didn't take the missing persons report seriously. This, I am afraid, because he was a little black kid. Look, if it had been a little white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, it would have been all over the news and helicopters would have been deployed. I don't think think I need to say more on this issue I think you know what I'm on about I'd like to think the police have changed over the last 15 years or so to take missing kids more seriously but the mainstream media still like their pretty little white girl stories for their front pages okay lastly people that do this kind of shit need to be locked up for good 15 years is nothing And you know what? I've had to dig so deep to try and get anything about this case. That's why I haven't been able to go into depth about who Cleon was and his life up until he was murdered. And because the media didn't really run with the story, there is just precious little out there about any aspect of the case. I was able to get my hands on some court documents, but other than that, there's not much out there at all. Okay, my rant is over. So, that's the sad story of the murder of 14-year-old Cleon Jackman by three adults that kidnapped and tortured him for five 
hours until he was dead, burying him in a bush grave with no remorse. (sighs) All right. So I'd like to thank Lindy for suggesting this case, and I'm open to case suggestions from anyone. I do read all messages that I get, and I do intend on featuring any case that you want. Look, you are the reason I do this, and I want you to make the island your own. Some cases that are currently up for trial or appeal, I won't do in case I end up in court myself. So let's go to Patreon and PayPal. This month we have new Patreon and PayPal supporters. I'll just go through the new supporters of the island today and I'll shout out to everyone in next week's special edition. So they are Lauren B, Kevin M, Amanda H, Roseanne SS, May K, Carol and Nina. Senga has increased to pledge as well. Thank you to Siobhan who donated via PayPal. I just want all the listeners to know that if you donate via Patreon before the end of the month and you're still financial at the end of August, you'll go into the draw for either a general admission ticket to the Sydney My Favourite Murder Show on September 11. There will also be a prize of one T-shirt given to one lucky Patreon supporter that can't get to Sydney. If you donate via PayPal, you're also in with a chance. So, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help out and be part of the island. True Crime Island is, and will always be, commercial free. Except for my friend's podcast promos that I have at the end of the episodes. Of course, unless Chang Beer want to sponsor me. There's many other ways to support the island as well. One is to rate, review and download via iTunes. Last episode, we raced up the charts. Well done, guys. It's you that make this happen. I have some reviews to read out next special edition as well. Another way is to spread the word. Tell family or friends, and if they need assistance, then give, it, give them a hand. My website's truecrimeisland.com. It has links to download or stream each episode, links to iTunes and Stitcher as well. There are links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So join the Facebook closed group and get involved in developing the island. Now before I go, at the end don't turn off, there is a short promo from a mate Ed's podcast called Unfound. Now, this is a great podcast and a must-sub. Ed's doing a great service for the missing and their family and friends. Okay, so don't forget to delete your browser history. This is your host, Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi, this is Ed Denzel, host of the Missing Persons program, Unfound. Tune in at iTunes, Podomatic, or Stitcher to hear the best, most in-depth interviews with victims' families, law enforcement, and journalists. Unfound leaves no stone unturned as it searches for answers in the cases it covers.
So if you like hardcore, no-frills, true crime programs with lots of info that could lead you to do your own investigation, Unfound is for you. And check out the Unfound Podcast discussion group on Facebook while you're at it. Thanks.